Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and open together, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 16. Boy, it is good to be home. And uh, very thankful to be back in, back in church with you all today and with our church. And uh, very thankful for what God did. We appreciate you allowing us to be away. And uh, I trust that God allowed us to help uh, Grace Baptist Church to encourage them. And it's always nice to be with good friends. Uh, our families, all of our kids are about the same age. So it's all just kind of one, uh, one big party the whole time. But uh, it was good. The church is growing there. We're very thankful for God's blessing upon the work. Uh, they had people join both Sunday morning and Sunday night. And uh, I think they had a couple even saved on Wednesday evening. And, but the message I preached there on Sunday morning, I'm going to preach here Sunday, uh, this evening. I want you to come back tonight. Just a very ex, uh, exciting passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. A powerful statement that Paul makes, something that you and I can learn from and be helped by. But we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 this morning. Of course, this is the final chapter of the longest Pauline epistle in the New Testament. And of course, Paul writes, he's, he's written much, he's said a lot. Some of the things that Paul spoke by the Spirit of God were very difficult, no doubt, to write, uh, because they were difficult to preach. You know, sometimes the truth is very difficult to, 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 to express, isn't it? You know why that is? Because not everyone loves truth. You know, I, I trust today that you are a lover of truth. I would rather someone tell me the truth and it hurt than, than tell me a lie and uh, appease my conscience. The Bible says that the wounds of a friend are faithful and that they are, they are a help to us. But Paul, he's written much. He's addressed some very difficult subjects. Uh, immorality, uh, the, the, the husband-wife relationship, uh, you know, all of, this, all of these things, uh, the gifts of tongues and uh, the, the, uh, the importance of every individual in the body, you are of utmost value. There's not one person here that is less important uh, than, than someone else. God is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from or what you've done or have not done with your life. God loves us all the same. And he'll save us all the same if we come to him by faith. Aren't you thankful? I love the song, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. Uh, oh, and, you know, I'm very thankful for the gift of salvation that we have. And I pray that God would help us use this salvation that, that the Bible calls so great salvation for his honor and for his glory. And as we come to this final chapter, Paul, of course, in, this, in his thoughts of benediction, addresses different people. Uh, some he'll, he'll call by name. Others he'll reference together. Sometimes he even gives words of instruction. Uh, sometimes he shares his plans, like we'll see tonight. But in these opening verses of chapter 16, the Lord addresses the church body. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me this morning as we read together here in God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, notice what the Bible says in verses 1 through 4. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, 
as I have given order to all the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you by, by him in, uh, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Father, we're thankful for the word of God this morning. And Lord, uh, even in these moments, we, we beg and plead for thy power and thy blessing upon thy word. Lord, we know that your word, as you have said, will not return unto you void. And so, Lord, we ask that you would accomplish a mighty working in our hearts on this day. Lord, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us receive the truth of thy word, that you would order our thoughts, and Lord, that you would help us make great decisions of application here today. Lord, may your will be accomplished in every heart and life. And Lord, again we ask that if there's someone here this morning who is lost, who if, if they were to die today, they would not go to heaven. We pray that they would turn to Christ and receive salvation by grace today. But Lord, we love you and we pray for your power and blessing now upon thy word. Again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I'd like to draw your attention to the opening statement here of chapter 16. Again, all throughout this chapter, we find different subjects addressed. Uh, we find different people mentioned and, and uh, different instructions given. But as we open this chapter, the Bible says, notice, now concerning the collection for the saints. Concerning the collection for the saints, Paul is addressing a matter of giving uh, here with the church of, of Corinth. You see, there's, there's a lot of reasons to give, isn't there? There are a lot of causes for which, which people give to today. But may I tell you, there's no greater cause to give to than the cause of Christ in and through the ministry of a local New Testament church. You know, you can turn on your television and and you can see these little animals in cages standing outside, shivering in the cold. And, and I forget the lady's, the lady's name, but she can even sing the song, In the eyes of an angel, right? It's not, you know, that's, and people, they'll, their, their heartstrings are tugged. And people will give to things, will they not? You know, and I, we love, I love animals. Uh, they taste really good. Uh, but you know, it's, you know, what's more important than an animal, you, you and I are far more dear to God than any animal. Now God created animals, didn't he? Uh, you can read the, the creation account of Genesis chapter one. We find that God created everything and that God created everything good. And every animal that God created serves a purpose. Uh, every, and every animal that God created, you know, is to be used by man uh, for life and for, for the enjoyment of life. They're God's gift to you and me, really. And, but we mustn't, we, mustn't, we mustn't allow ourselves to be fooled 
and to be convinced of things that are not so. The world will tell us to give to all of these lesser things. We're in and of themselves are okay. You know, who doesn't want to, to be a good steward of God's creation? I, every, every Christian I know uh, who's sincerely living the Christian life wants to honor God, wants to take care of the things that God has blessed them with. And by nature, pun intended, we will take care of creation. We will be good stewards of, of the possessions God has entrusted to our care. And that involves not just our houses and our vehicles and our, and our clothing and, and our children, but it also includes animals. You know, it includes all of these things, but God's not talking about giving a gift uh, to help get an animal out of the cold. This collection for the saints was something that God instructed the church at Corinth to participate in. You see, the, the Christians in Jerusalem, they were struggling. They were, they were being persecuted, and it was very, very difficult for them to live. And so the Apostle Paul, under the leadership of God, took it upon himself to encourage churches, even as he mentions here the churches of Galatia. Uh, in, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, he speaks of the churches of Macedonia that gave by faith their excess to help people. I think it's noble. I think it's good. But you know what, you, do you know what I do not want to adopt in my thinking? I don't even want to adopt a United Way style of thinking. You know, what good is it if I go and build someone a house and yet neglect to tell them of the Lord Jesus Christ? It does no good. Years ago, I was helped. You know, we, we support missionaries all around the world. I'm very thankful for this. Uh, you know my heart for the Lord, my heart for missionaries, desiring to reach as many people as we can with the gospel while there's still time. But I was helped. I never want to support a missionary who is going to do something an unsafe person can do. I never want to support something with the Lord's, with the Lord's money that a lost person can do. I think it's important that we go about, reach lost people with the gospel, start local churches. And sometimes these churches, by nature, will have a food program. I know our missionaries in the Philippines, uh, if you've ever been to the Philippines, it's a very impoverished nation. And I remember going, walking the streets of Manila and, and uh, just seeing uh, abject poverty like I'd never seen it before. Uh, walking through these neighborhoods and these towns that, that you know, that are actually uh, built inside garbage dumps and people are, are relying upon the trash of other people to survive. You know, sometimes there needs to be a feeding program, a food program. After all, true religion and undefiled before God and man is to feed the fatherless and the widows, visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. But, but we see all of these things and, and there's a great necessity to give to God's work. And this is what the Apostle Paul is referring to here, this offering. But this offering was not the beginning. This offering would have been something in addition to what the people were already doing. The Bible teaches that all of, all of God's people ought to give to God as an act of worship. 22, 
of Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. Not omnipotent, uh, not omniscient, not omnipresent. But man, because of sin, the, our eyes were opened. And, we, and, he, and somehow we, we gained wisdom that we had not had we, before we lived in innocence. And because of the transgression of God's command, we lost that innocence. And we became sinners. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We find the entrance of sin into the, into the human race, into the world in Genesis chapter 3. But God makes an offering. I want you to notice what he says here. He says, to know good and evil. That is how we became as God. Not in, not in his, all of his attributes, but now we have the ability to understand good and evil, right from wrong. And he says, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord uh, God sent uh, him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove them out, the man, uh, so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So here we find this, the consequence of sin. But aren't you thankful that God made a way? Back in verse 21, the Bible says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Coats of skins and clothed them. From whence did God make these skins. From what did God make these skins? Where did, he, where did He find the skins? It was an innocent animal that God had taken, God had slain, He had shed, his, shed its blood, and took the skins from that animal and, and made, the, made coverings for the man and the woman. There is the first offering that we find in God's Word. So what then is the basis of our Christian giving? Is it not that we give because God gave? We have so great salvation, do we not? You know, we don't give in order to merit the grace of God. We give because we enjoy the grace of God. I want you to look at what the Bible says back in 2 Corinthians Chapter, chapters 8 and 9. In chapters 8 and 9, we find that the Bible speaks of the, the grace of God bestowed in the churches of Macedonia. That, that God gave them an ability to give above and beyond what they in and of themselves were capable of doing. But then we go and we find even at the end of chapter number 9, 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, the basis of our giving. Why do we give? We give because God gave. 
This is why we give. That is our motivation. We give because God gave. Look what the Bible says in verse 15. He says, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. And we find that, the, that we give because God gave His Son. In the Old Testament, if we look back in Genesis chapter number 4, we find the record of an offering given. An offering given by both Cain and Abel. And I believe this offering was given by the instruction of God. Uh, and it was in the process of time. So this is something that was given in repetition. This was not perhaps the first offering that was given. But we find a pattern here. A reference point, if you would, for, the giving, to, for giving to God. The Bible says in verse 1, of Genesis chapter 4 says, and, and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And the Bible says in verse 3, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. The fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. But notice what the Bible says in verse number 4 we find a contrast between Cain's offering and a con with Abel's offering. Cain brought of the fruit. And, and, and sometimes we would say, yeah, that's good. Good job, Cain. You brought of the fruit of the ground. But may I tell you, he was disobedient in his offering. It was not that he gave the fruits because he did not give what God had asked. And the Bible says in verse number 4, it says, and Abel, he also brought notice of the firstlings of his flock. Note that word, firstlings. There's a difference between fruit and firstlings. There's a difference between fruit and firstfruits, isn't there? You know, I can give of my excess, but what does God deserve? He, he deserves that proportion. He deserves the first fruits. Before I, before I pay my electric bill, before I pay my mortgage and my insurance, I am to give God the first fruits of all of my increase. But not only did he give of the firstlings of the flock, notice the proportion that God had asked. But you know what else he did? He went above and beyond. Not only did he give of the, the firstlings, he gave of the fat, of the excess, of the extra, how God had prospered him. He showed gratitude. And of course, we find that, eight, that God despised Cain's offering. And Cain, in his, in his wrath and his anger, his jealousy, rose up and, and slew Abel, his brother. But the pattern is that God has established a prerequisite or a precedent for His people in this act of giving to the Lord. Some would argue that, that this that the act of tithing is only in the law. But when was the law given? It was given in the book of Exodus. Well, where are we reading now? We're reading in the book of Genesis from the very beginning. And God has established this from the dawn of time as to be the act of worship of, of His people to give to Him what He, is, what he deserves, what is, what is due. The truth of the matter is, he deserves a lot more than the tithe, than the tithe doesn't he? Man, he, he deserves everything we have. But 
just consider the care and compassion of God and that he doesn't ask for 90. He doesn't even ask for 50 or 30 or 20. He asks a tenth. I want you to look at what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, we find that, that Lot, Abraham's nephew, has been taken captive by a man whose name I love to pronounce. A man by the name of Chedorlaomer. That's a great name, isn't it? Aren't you thankful we don't name people that anymore? We're going to call him Chad. We're going to abbreviate that. So whenever someone... How many of you know a Chad? You know, you say, you just, your parents just abbreviated your name. Your real name is Chad Leomer. Uh, and just see what they say. They say, Chad Lee, what? But, but Abraham, he goes out and he rescues Lot. And he conquers Chad Leomer. And, as of, as, and to the victor goes the spoils. And he goes out and he gets all of this spoil from war. And the Bible says this in verse number 17 of Genesis chapter 14. It says, And the king of Sodom went out uh, to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheba, which is the king's dale. And notice verse number 18. It says, And Melchizedek, King of Salem. Here's, here's a, an amazing truth. King of Jerusalem. We trace, we trace this, this Christophany to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Moriah, Zion is a place where God has always placed His name. A place where seems as if there's always been the act of worshiping the true and living God in Jerusalem. If you go with me to Jerusalem, you can see where they believe Melchizedek was. It's quite interesting. But notice, he brought forth bread and wine, and he was, notice, the priest of the Most High God. The Bible says, and he blessed him, and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. If we read the book of, of Hebrews, for sake of time, we will not this morning. But if you read the book of Hebrews, we find, in, I believe it's Hebrews chapter 7, uh, this description of Melchizedek. He neither had beginning of eight days or end of days, nor father nor mother. And we believe that, that Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate Christ. And he, that he appeared to Abraham in, his, in the way back from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer. He's the priest of the Most High God, that Jesus, he's, he's the great high priest, isn't he? That has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. But we see here what Abram's response to Melchizedek, really his response to Christ. And the Bible says this, it says in blessed, uh, 20 says, And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And notice at the end of verse 20 says, And he, speaking of Abram, gave him Melchizedek, this, this king of Salem, this priest of the Most High God, this pre-incarnate Christ, tithes of all. He gave him tithes of all. The Bible says in 
in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Church, you and I, we must come to the realization that our giving to God as an act of worship and thanks and gratitude is linked to the blessing of God in our lives. And it is a crime for you and me to withhold from God what He deserves. But the tithe is the basis. It's the beginning, the starting point for all of our Christian giving. It doesn't make sense to not tithe. We, sometimes we, we look at our, our monthly income, and it seems, sometimes, most often, seems like there's more month than there is money. Can anyone, you know, we can all empathize this morning. Our bills never get smaller, it seems. Only grow larger. And in our minds, we just can't imagine surviving if we give God that 10%. Well, that's a lot of, that's a, that's a large portion of our increase, of our income. But may I tell you this morning that you cannot afford not to tithe. I want you to look with me, if you would please, in the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. The book of Malachi, and God, speaking to the nation of Israel, brings forth several indictments to the people. And have you ever been in an argument that you cannot win? This is the argument that, that Israel is having with God. You are never going to beat God in an argument. God is always right. And, and God, he, he condemns the people, He corrects the people, and they, hold on a minute, hold on. I protest. That is not the case. Well, if God says it, it's, it's true, right? But the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, notice in verse number 8 of Malachi chapter 3, God asks a rhetorical question. Because no one in their right mind would do what God asks, right? He says, will a man rob God? Ha <laughs> ha. No. You'd have to be foolish to rob from God. Will a man rob God? They would say no. And God looks at the people and He speaks to them and He says, yet ye have robbed me. And they go, hold on just a minute. Uh, how, look, what he, look what they said. He's, it, it, with the disdain in their voice, I can, I can picture them responding to God. And, he, he, and they say, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? Where have we robbed thee? And God, with great simplicity, answers in tithes and offerings. What's the difference between a tithe and an offering? Well, the tithe is the basis of our giving. That's where we start. It's that 10% that we give to God because that's what He asks, and He deserves far more than that, but that's what He asks of His people, that 
the offering is what we give to God above and beyond that tithe. So like, like Abel, he gave of the firstlings of his flock and of, the, and of the fat thereof. When he gave of the fat, that was his offering, but there was a starting point where every one of us should begin, but we shouldn't stay there. We should be able to give as God allows, as God directs, as he prompts our hearts and stirs our hearts to do. But the children of Israel had robbed God. They had not given him their tithes. They had, they had not given him their offerings as the Lord had, had commanded them in the law. And as a, as a result, they were impoverished. Look what the Bible says. We find, we find promises right here in, in Malachi chapter 3. God says in verse 9, Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. When we refuse to obey the Lord in, in every facet of life, not just in our tithes and our offerings, because God asks us to obey Him, doesn't He? That should be my desire. He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. These are, these are things that God asks of his people. Just obey. I want to obey. We teach our children the song. You might hear them downstairs in junior church. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing what the Lord commands. Doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Do you believe God? Do you believe Him? Do you believe His Word is true? Do you believe that God will not lie? Do you believe that God cannot lie? Do you believe that what God says you can trust? Then why are we at times so reluctant to obey Him. God always honors and blesses the obedience of His people. In your heart this morning, will you be obedient? Not just in tithes and offerings, but in every facet of your Christian life. You see, if, if we rebel, if we refuse, then we are like God said, describes the children of Israel, cursed with a curse. I don't want to live cursed with a curse, do you? That's foolish. I want God's blessing on my life. I want God's blessing on my home. I want God's blessing on our church, don't you? And he goes on, he writes this. Notice in verse number 10, he says, Bring ye all the tithes, not just some of them, or a few of them, or even the most of them. Bring ye all the tithes, into the storehouse. In the Old Testament, the temple was the storehouse. There was a treasury in the temple. But we find that God's people, even today, are called upon to give. The storehouse is the local church. We are to bring all the tithes in the storehouse. Notice, he says, that there may be meat in mine house. And then he goes on in verse 10, and he says, And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven 
and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Prove me. Have you ever asked someone, prove it? It's the same concept here. God says, prove me. I dare you. A friend of mine, years ago, we were at his church on a Wednesday night, and uh, on the back, in the back of the sanctuary, they had, offer, uh, they had um, uh, ushers' tables, they had offering plates, they had different cards and things neatly arranged on these tables. And, and I, just, I always look at what people have. I know all their literature because I'm like that. And I, go and I picked up some of his things, and, and I was reading this card, and it said, a tithe challenge. And, on, and, he, and he said, and it was a commitment. He says, I so-and-so, you write your name, commit to trust the Lord for this amount of days by giving God my tithe. And if at the end of this amount of time God has not met my needs, the church will refund, refund you the tithe. I said, well, brother, man, that was a pretty bold thing to do. I said, I've got to ask. Did anybody come to you? He said, of course not. Of course not. Why? Because, may I tell you, I want you to write this down. Take out a pen. I want you to write this down. God will never fail me if I'm obedient. God will never fail me if I'm obedient. You know, the hardship that we face is not because of God. God is faithful, isn't He? The hardship we face is because we fail in our obedience. If we will obey the Lord, He will always make sure we have food on our table. Remember, there has been times in my... I've told the stories how my wife and I, there have been times in our marriage where we haven't had two pennies to rub together. No food in the refrigerator, and yet God providentially and miraculously supplied for our needs. Time and time and time again. Why? Because we may not have as much as other people, but we've always given what God has asked and done what God has, has led us to do, and He has always supplied our needs. Even as Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And God promises here to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so they don't have room enough to receive it. And he goes on, he makes the statement here. He says in verse number 11, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. He rebukes the devourer. Not only does he give us what we need, but he makes what we have last longer than it should. Years ago, my wife and I, we bought a car. And, and man, we drove that car everywhere. It was our only car we had. We relied upon that car. We depended upon that car. But, it, man, it needed tires bad. I remember we were, drove, we, we were driving through Colorado, driving up the side of a mountain in torrential rain, and, the, and it was an eerie feeling. The, the, the tires were so bald, you could feel the car kind of sliding back and forth 
on the road. I'm like white knuckle tighting it, you know, like, oh, my lands. But, you know, God was good. That was like a, you know, an OEM tire, original equipment tire. They don't put the nicest tires on new vehicles. I don't know if you knew that or not. They put cheap things on just to get them off the lot. And this, this tire was like a 40,000-mile tire. Got 80,000 miles out of those things. I rotated those tires religiously. Every time I changed oil, I rotated the tires on it. Made sure that they were properly inflated, you know. And, man, God rebuked the devourer. Church, you and I are called upon to give. And as we look back here this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I want you to notice three truths surrounding the Christian's giving. Now remember, he's writing concerning the collection for the saints. And we see the purpose of giving in verse number 1. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints, why do we give this morning? What is the purpose in our giving? Is it so somebody somewhere can get a lot of money? You know, there are some preachers in the world today that it's all they care about is money. They want, if you drive down Allen Road, you'll see a, a TV, TV preacher, his home, guarded by a guard shack, big old mansion and big ponds out front. That's not biblical. Um, it's not, we don't give so that someone's, someone else's coffers can be, be filled with money. We give so that God's work can advance. Why do we give tithes and offerings to a local church? Well, it's nice to come into an air-conditioned building, isn't it? It's nice to have the lights on. It's nice to have the fans. It's nice to have comfortable chairs in which to, uh, upon which to sit. It's nice to enjoy some of these things. But, you know, as, as nice as that is, we give, of course. And just so you know, your tithes and offerings supply for my family. You make it so that we can live. Now, you don't pay me to be a preacher of the gospel. You don't pay me to be your pastor. You couldn't pay me enough to pastor you. I would do it for free. But don't say that. Oh, man, our cat's already out of the bag. But, but you, may, you, you give so that I can devote my time and my energy to caring for you, praying for you, preparing messages to share with you to help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you cannot serve God and mammon. You know, if, if I were to work a, 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 an outside job, you know how hard it would be for me to pastor this church? Because you cannot serve two masters. And so... In addition to that, we give not just so the ministries of this church can, can continue, but we give even that how we see here in verse number one for the furtherance of the gospel in other places around the world. You know, we support missionaries here. This is why we give to supply for the needs of this church and the ministries of this church, but we also give so we can reach other people around the world. This is the purpose in our giving. 
But notice a second truth concerning our Christian giving this morning is the participants in giving. The participants in giving. Who am I... Uh, who, who is it that, that, that gives this morning? Who is, who is it that should be involved in this? Is it just one or two? All of us should be involved in this act of giving. Look what the Bible says in verses 1 and 2. He says, at the end of the verse, of course he says, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, notice, even so do ye. This isn't for the church down the way. This isn't for the church over here. This is for us. This is for all of God's people. And he goes on and he says in verse number 2, he says, Upon the first day of the week, let notice, every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. You know, every one of us are qualified. Every one of us, all of God's people who know Christ as our Savior, We are all to be participants in this act of giving. There shouldn't be one person that's excluded. There was a little boy who came into the church this morning, pulled in, you know, reached down in his pocket, pulled out this dollar bill, goes, right? You know, I thought, (laughs) I know he's going to put in the offering this morning. Praise the Lord, you know. Teach him young, give him to the Lord. It's great. You know, I... It's encouraging. We're never too young. We're never too old. We never have too much, and we never have too little. Every one of us, by the grace and mercy of God, can give to God's work. And then notice finally this morning, we see the proportion in giving. The proportion in giving. You know, not everybody can give $1,000. Not everyone, not everyone's giving is, is $2,000. You know, God, God let, me ask, let me just tell you something. God will never ask you to give something you do not have or he will not supply. He never will. He never asks you to give something you do not have or something he will not supply. But he does ask us to give. And he asks us to give proportionately. Um, Not equal giving. I want you to write this down. Not equal giving. Sometimes, you know, it's not comparing apples with, with oranges, right? Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. We are all to give the proportion that God asks. What is that proportion? Where does it begin? It begins with a tithe. It begins with that 10%. And then we go, we go from there. And I, I don't say this, uh, don't take this the wrong way. I don't, I'm not boasting in this, but my, my wife and I have not tithed in years. Since we've been, I don't think we've ever tithed. Like when you're asking me to tithe? We've always given more than our tithe. Through our tithes and our offerings. I may tell you, God God has never forgotten us. He's never forsaken us. Even as David said that he'd been young and, and he'd been old, 
but in all of his days he had not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. God is good. When we obey him, he blesses. The Bible says in verse number, two, verse number two, it says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. Notice verse, in verse two, as God hath prospered him. What is this referring to? This is referring to that portion. It's, it's according to what he's given. What, what, what God has given you this week might differ from the person sitting next to you. But it's all according to how God has prospered us. You know, it's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. And did you notice when those offerings are to be given? On the first day of the week. You come to church, you know, that's, that's when we worship God with our tithes and with our offerings. That's when we give God the first fruits of all of our increase. That's when we give the Lord our, our offerings of the fat that God has given, the excess, the extra, the abundance. Church today, I want to encourage you to simply take God at His word. Trust Him, prove Him, but in your heart, will you be obedient to Christ in this matter of your Christian giving? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed.